I, I'm Henry Bean, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Southland Tales. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the World is Wrong. An extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brian Connolly. And you chose this film. Why? <laughs> I'm going to answer the question first before I even talk no, about no, it. No, 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 no. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Have you, uh, you've been wanting to do this film for a long time, Southland Tales. Yeah. We, we teased it in our last episode, talking about the the songs of Ole Olson, I believe, <laughs> and his his song cue in this film. Which, by the way, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice it. I was listening for it, and I didn't find it. Yeah, but, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> but it must be playing. It must be embedded into one of those uh, patriotic, weird songs they play in the movie. Which, yeah. some of them. We'll get into it. High points. High points. So uh, yes, we're here to talk about this film. Do you want to set up anything before we get into the clip? <laughs> uh, yeah, why don't we uh, uh, just, you know, the, just the, just let this movie wash over you. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it might not make any more sense to any of us by the, the end of this episode, but that's okay. Okay. Well, uh, we're going we're gonna to try. We're going to do our best. And uh, as, as the filmmakers did their best uh, on this film. So we'll we'll just uh, we'll let's let's play the clip, and then we'll come back and talk about it. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. Stigma. We'll hear that fine new platter by Nat King Cole. I'd rather have the blues. The war machine was running out of gas. And there was no alternative. Alternative fuel, that is. Until one day, when a renegade scientist arrived in the Southland with a cure for our sickness. He built this great big machine out in the ocean that would generate a hydroelectric energy field called fluid karma. A wireless network of electric power that would run machines by remote. Machines that would never have to be refueled. Trier Products is proud to present the wizard Baron von Westphalen and his executive staff. Have you built the world's first perpetual motion machine? <laughs> the ocean is a perpetual motion machine. Fluid karma is a simulation of the principles you see working right here as long as the waves continue to crash fluid karma will exist quantum teleportation explain the transport mechanism that's all i'm asking uh, fluid karma works via the principle of quantum entanglement um, particles thus entangled will behave identically operation q the atomic test program of the Federal Civil Defense Administration, as seen by Joan Cowan, reporter. I had to see Operation Q through many eyes, not only my own. 
but as a reporter through the eyes of the average American man and woman. I'm Krista. Krista now. And we are here, live in Malibu, with my guests today, Shoshana Cox, Sheena G, and Dina Storm. Join us for an in-depth discussion of the penetrating issues facing society today. Issues like abortion, terrorism, crime, poverty, social reform, quantum teleportation, teen horniness, and war. <laughs> All right, Southland Tales. This, this, this plot to go through it is... Uh, gonna be hard but i'm gonna do my best to kind of give you a an an idea if you've never seen the movie uh boxer santeros played by Dwayne the rock johnson has awoken on the beach with some memory loss a team of anarchists slash improv comics decide to <laughs> kidnap a police officer played by sean william scott and use his twin brother to impersonate him to extort money from Boxer Santeros's parents who are running for president and that dad is running for president and whose uh, mom is running the major security system that has tapped into all law enforcement in the country in an extreme version of some Patriot Act nonsense. Uh, Boxer Santeros uh, is currently hooking up with Krista Kapowski played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is a major celeb slash porn star who asks lots of questions about, you know, war and abortion and teen horniness. Uh, <laughs> she's also part of this scheme to use a tape of what they think is just of her and Boxer embracing uh, to use to uh, kind of sway the election. But unbeknownst to her, the anarchist read, led by... SNL alum Sherry O'Terry uh, has another tape in store of a double murder where Boxer is present. All of this is going on. There's also a new form of energy that can make all things work that isn't electricity but is using water invented by the great inventor played by Wallace Shawn who surrounds himself with Zelda Rubinstein <laughs> and Curtis Armstrong. Uh, this movie is a big goes for the big swing. This is Richard Kelly's uh, much anticipated follow up to his sleeper hit Donnie Darko. Uh, he was given a bigger budget, clearly uh, permission to do anything. Uh, it was a script that he had for a long time, uh, originally just about the anarchist. But then once 9-11 happened, he decided to air his frustrations with the Bush administration and make this insane movie that is inspired by Kiss Me Deadly, Pulp Fiction, Brazil, Dr. Strangelove, Philip K. Dick, T.S. Eliot, Robert Frost, and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. It's one of the biggest swings I think a director has ever taken. It failed for him. <laughs> it was booed and much hated at the Cannes Film Festival, and Roger Ebert, in his one-and-a-half-star review, referred to Richard Kelly as a cinematic anarchist who sabotaged his own film. This movie has a lot of ideas, maybe more than any movie can handle. Uh, 
more it, it did because he thought of it as a Kelly thought of it as a giant multimedia ex, uh, adventure that had simultaneously when this movie came out three graphic novel prequels kind of giving you more of the backstory of Boxer, Krista and Roland. Uh, and then there was also supposedly going to be a big interactive website that never happened because the movie was not really widely released or loved by anybody. <laughs> there you have a Southland Tales. Okay. Uh... And I'm not even going to begin. Like, there's so much more in this plot in this movie. Like, it's like kind of next week's episode with the two Jakes where it just you just got to watch it and figure it out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's fair to compare it to two Jakes, but sure, whatever you say. Uh, how, well, you kind of got into it, but you want to, want to talk about how other ways the world is wrong about this film? I'm just, I watched, I saw this movie when it came out. I drove an hour from Olympia to Seattle to see the only theater that was showing it in Washington state. Uh, at the time, the people that were there didn't like it. And I kept telling people how I saw this great movie and either people didn't know about it or they had seen it and they truly hated it. And even though this movie has now recently gotten a nice uh, Blu-ray release where you can watch the con cut, it still gets a reaction from people. When I mentioned uh, that I was watching this for the show, most people gave me a sour look on their face and maybe a head shake and maybe a large shrug and <laughs> maybe like a head, like pulling their hair out to just like, this is a very... Uh, hated movie. It, it was a huge flop. It only cost $17 million, but it made not nearly close to any of that. And it kind of derailed Richard Kelly's career forever. Like, he was able to make one more thing after this, The Box, which also wasn't very light. And then he just was done, which is too bad, because I personally uh, think that this movie, though... I understand why people don't like it. Like, it really works for me. And I get one over by it every time I watch it. And I've seen this movie quite a bit. Still can't make head or tails out of a lot of what's going on. But I don't care. I'm captivated by the imagery, uh, by just the performances, by just, just somebody... Anyone who tries this hard to make, like, a movie like that's just this so big with ideas and then falls flat on their face. <laughs> I just admire that because I feel like I wish there was more movies like this. I feel like Hollywood doesn't take a lot of chances and I think it's okay to aim high and fall down hard. I'm okay with that. Because at least you tried <laughs> to do something different. Wait, but just to be clear, you actually enjoy the movie. You don't you don't just you don't just respect that this film made the attempt you feel like it succeeded. I, I think it worked i think it succeeded no i no i like i said i understand why most everybody is not into this but i am like so into it every time i watch it well maybe you won't understand why <laughs> i react the way to that don't just assume that you understand before i've told you true my response <laughs> to this film uh I think it's. I think this does. This film does uh, make a very important statement that that rings in my ears, having or I guess Vegas in my eyes and in my consciousness, having seen it and experienced it. And it's. It comes down to the simple phrase: "You poo too." <laughs> Are you familiar with this phrase? Did this rem no. 
Okay. You no. know, wow, that's so funny. That's what it says on all the cops where U P U two. You poo two. Over and over and over again. And this is a film that is obsessed with shit and farts <laughs> and sex. Uh, like, but not like sex in a sexy way, but sex in a people talking about sex in a sort of way, in a way that makes it, um, I don't want to say that makes it unattractive, but puts it in the same realm as poop and farts. <laughs> like it, the film, the script is, and this is something that I could see like being really intelligent Do, is, is a film that sort of encodes all this lower chakra stuff into the, you know, it, not just into like, not just specifically people talking about it, but like in things like that, like in the, the, the cops are wearing you poo too. Everyone poops shirts. It's a, I thought that's so funny. I, how could you not see that? It was just every time <laughs> There he's the cop is walking towards the camera. It's just you poo too, you poo too. Well, didn't it stand too. for something? <laughs> I assumed it was an acronym for. It doesn't matter. Some it's, police, what something police. If you saw that on, as a as a uh, license as a license plate, would you wouldn't you make the connection that they're saying you poo too? No, I I can never read those license plates. They don't make sense to me usually. Wow. You're not a code like other breaker. people. I'm not a code breaker. I, my mind is not going to those things, so wow. I don't think about it. Okay. <laughs> um, see, see, you don't understand all of the ways that people react to this film <laughs> because this film is speaking to those of us who are code-minded with its <laughs> scatological obsessions. Um, yeah, yeah, I... Uh, I was very excited to see this film because you've been talking about it a lot and it seemed like the kind of thing that I would like. And then I saw Curtis Armstrong in one of the opening scenes and I was like, oh, hello, this is what I'm, <laughs> I'm here. And then I felt like I was in a two and a half long hour, uh, two and a half hour long sort of psychic battle with the film as it was <laughs> trying to alienate me and push me away at every turn. And I'm sort of holding on to it. Like, you know, like maybe like, like if you like, say you, you were water skiing and you lose the skis and then the boat is just pulling you and the, the driver's too drunk to know that they're pulling you. So you just are like being battered by the waves and just holding on for dear life. And trying to remember that the people in the boat are not your enemies trying to kill you, but actually your <laughs> friends who are just doing their own thing. <laughs> that was basically my experience in this movie. Like, oh, Will Sasso's here. Sorry, it's, <laughs> he's not enough to get this film up above the waves. Another salt water flash in my face. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Roger Ebert compared the con screening to the one the year before from Brown Bunny as being like the not most fair. hostile audience. Not But fair. I mean, Brown Bunny, also a movie that's trying to push some buttons, trying to you know, get in your face with things in a different way. A different pace and a, a very different movie. I think but we may come back like... to the uh, cinematic or not cinematic argument. This, like the <laughs> one film, incredibly cinematic. The other, uh, you know, it's. I mean, <laughs> how could you say this movie's not cinematic? <laughs> oh 
because it feels like a TV <laughs> show. Like it feels like a a TV show that was shot all in one location. Let Venice be. Yeah, I don't know. I just like the the None imagery. None of the actors like... have any like feel like they have any sort of real cinematic. Like we have you have actors with cinematic presence in this, but they all seem like they're slumming. <laughs> none of them seem like they're giving a film performance they're all giving some sort of yeah some sort of tv comedy performance but yeah. i like i like how big everyone's going in this movie i enjoy and i guess a lot of the movie was improvised dialogue wise i believe that and uh <laughs> And these are all pretty good imp- improvisers, like, you know, John Lovett, Sherry O'Terry, like Dwayne Johnson. These are all people that come from improv backgrounds. And I don't know. I just, and this is kind of the conversation I have with everyone with this movie. Is everyone just like, this movie's ugly. Everyone, this movie is not great. And I'm like, no, everyone, this movie's great. This movie is beautiful. I've never seen two cars fuck in a movie before. That is a new image in a movie now. <laughs> That's exciting to me. It does look and like I, a shit, like something out of after last season. That's <laughs> and I just I love just the scenes like on Venice Beach that are crowded with people and you have these soldiers with guns pointed and there's the weird Moby music playing and it just feels like it just feels very now but also like the end of the world and like I really am won over by like. Yeah, just like all the crazy, <laughs> just the ideas, just like the, all the weird ideas of like, why would, like every every choice is a choice in this movie that was thought about. And it's all the, either the wrong choice or the strangest choice, but it, uh, combined together works for me. Like seeing John Lovitz play a dirty, hairy type <laughs> cop. <laughs> and then you go to Sean William Scott running around to like the Pixies wave of mutilation. Like there's just something like I just keep getting one over constantly by this movie. Like there's just something where I'm just like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I like seeing Justin Timberlake sing the killers, all the things that I've done, like in the uh, Venice Beach arcade, you know, with, like doing this weird Busby Berkeley thing covered in blood and drinking beer. And it's, it's weird because a lot of it feels very slapdash and hurried and kind of of the moment but it but it's still but it doesn't but there's something beautiful about that to me and when you watch the making of so much of what's going on is happening in the moment where richard kelly had one idea and kept just putting more things in and and people being confused as to why he's changing the script and adding all these things and making it more confusing and uh when they interview um wallace sean he says the script is incomprehensible, but I like it very much. <laughs> and I kind of with him on that one that there's something about it that like I doesn't make sense to me, and I understand that it doesn't all work. And it reminds me a lot of like the other movies that I can think of where that kind of is a thing for me is like I'm also a big fan of of um, the Life Aquatic. I think is another movie where it's full of lots of famous people and ideas, and it's kind of a mess. But I like it. And I and like I think movies like Magnolia, which actually succeeded. And I think he's trying to do something like that here, which is like any idea, anything that he thinks is funny or that that he's angry about, he just throws it all in this big soup. And <laughs> and uh, I don't know. But I, I I like it. I like the taste of the soup. <laughs> Peanut butter shouldn't be in a soup, but I'm liking it. I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I it, see. I I am I am not here to savage this film. <laughs> I don't feel like that's not our that's not what we're here to do ever. And so I mostly want to. I want to get your, I want to hear the things that you like about this film, but I do want to talk about, because you're comparing it to films like Magnolia. And I think there is something, there is something here in that it does, it it, it should be talked about as that kind of film. Cloud Atlas, I Heart Huckabee's. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange yeah. Love, like these films yes. that are it it is it is an attempt to make that kind of film. I feel like it is a failed attempt to make that kind of film. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that it's not admirable to make that attempt. Like a lot of people would follow up their first big hit with something that was a lot safer. And I feel like that would be less <laughs> It, it would, we wouldn't be talking about whatever that movie is. Right. And, and I think he was offered that. I think he was offered the chance to make like some garbage. And he, yeah. instead he made garbage that's his own garbage. He could have made and Bubble I think Boy. That's... He could have made Bubble Boy <laughs> and just stayed on the Jake Gyllenhaal train. Jake Gyllenhaal made Bubble Boy after, uh, after Donnie Darko. So he knew that he could maybe should try and uh, go move to the middle I moved to the center from that <laughs> film, but but Richard Kelly was like, no, nope. wait, Richard Kelly, right? Yeah, because I'm getting we have we had a, who is the Richard who did Island of Doctor Moreau? Richard, Richard Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> I, I, okay, now I'm really going to get confused. Richard Kelly, Richard Stanley, <laughs> guys named Richard, <laughs> probably and not shouldn't any great directors named Richard. You just named two of them. I mean, ones who succeeded, <laughs> ones who Hollywood Richard let. Richard Donner, Richard Donner. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I think these guys are more interesting. Okay, so uh, <laughs> yeah, but this is, but this is, I for me, it's a cautionary tale because I could see <laughs> take make trying to make this kind of movie, and my fear would be that my ambition would out would outpace my own my actual intelligence and skill as a as a writer or a filmmaker and i feel yeah. like that's the case here i feel like this is a film that's ambition is to be terry southern but it is not as smart as terry southern and i just i felt like uh like yeah there's just a lot of there's a lot that's wrong with this film and <laughs> I could see, oh, this is the, so I was also thinking about uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. To me, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is the example of making this kind of movie, but it works. It has the Where same you, yeah, kind of okay. dirty, sexual, like wanting to like squeeze all this sleazy stuff into this sort of uh, soap opera conspiracy movie, but that and that film sort of makes all the wrong choices but they're but the symphony it creates is correct and it's just wonderful <laughs> and i feel like this is is like when that doesn't work someone is like uh, and i could see again it's i could see myself doing that trying to make i want to make a movie that 
achieves that quality that Beyond the Valley of the Dolls gets, where everyone is so bad that it moves to this other level of just perfection. <laughs> and... Yeah, I think that's yeah. a hard thing to do. And like Paul Verhoeven, I think, is also good at doing that. Yeah. Like he can make a thing where everyone's working on a Like when you see something like Robocop or Total Recall, there's something ridiculous about it. There's something gross about it. But it's also like trying so many ideas and it's angry about something. But his movies hit, except for Showgirls, which didn't at the time. But now people hail it as a masterpiece. Um and I think it's hard to kind of go into a movie and try to do that. I think that's a, like I think Richard Kelly set up for himself a hard task, <laughs> and he's just not up I, to it. He's not like I, it, I really think that he's just not smart enough to do that. You have to have a level like Kubrickian kind of intelligence that doesn't just show up and is like, "Well, this would be a cool, fun idea. Let's do that. Oh, that's a cool, fun idea. Let's do that." You know, it's like, no, no, you're not like you to do this. You have to know what you're doing. And I don't think he knows what he's doing, which it, again, that doesn't mean that it's it does. That doesn't mean that it doesn't land great for you. And I don't and or that it's not uh, a valid enterprise or that she, that he shouldn't get another chance. But I think like there's a there's a scene I'm watching it while we're talking. There's a scene early in the movie where Christopher Lambert. Is that who it is? Right. The, yeah, the actor, from Highlander, yeah. Yeah, it's Christopher Lambert is in a scene with Sherry O'Terry, and it's just like he pulls a gun and she kicks it out of his hand. And <laughs> the way he pulls the gun out is so obviously like a bad actor doing a bad improv and making it easy for this little woman to to take your gun. <laughs> and that's a thing that a director should have been like, no, actually pull your gun and let her actually like don't just it's really cheesy improvised blocking by people who are not like maybe they're good improvisers uh you know maybe they're bad improvisers who are being revealed as not as great as they as their reputations are because the director allows a a fake moment to and that's early in the film and that's just one thing but i feel like this film is full of but, but what if that fake moment is intentional like these, these these bad guys are supposed to be failed comedians yeah but and i feel and i feel this movie's going for this sort of andy warhol pop art self-aware camp sort of thing that i don't know if all of these if these these rough around the edges moments are they intentional or not you know, like, <laughs> like you have a movie that a term at once seems like it's trying to be really serious, but then gets really silly. Like you have, <laughs> it's just like there's this. I don't know. I just feel like the tone of this movie's all over the place. That I I don't know. Like I'm not picking up it apart in a way of like that seems that doesn't work or that performance seems stale or wooden or that one seems hammy because I feel like maybe that's all in part of it. You know? It may be, but it, I just feel like it, it doesn't, like, that may be the intention, but I don't think, again, like, there are movies that do that, and it works. I, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls might be the perfect example. Uh, there's a lot of fake bad acting in that movie, but the directing is so sure that it feels 
Like it doesn't it doesn't have that sloppy I don't think these people know what they're doing kind of feeling. It's more of a like, oh my God, what the fuck are these people doing? I can't wait to see what's next. So again, this is not like, I'm trying to set up where my take on this film is, which is not a, oh, fuck this film, but, oh man, I'm so sorry for this guy that he (laughs) revealed himself as being... Like, if he had been willing to just make a dumb movie that was only as smart as he actually is, then people might have called him a genius. But because he tried to do something that was out of his grasp, which I do think is an admirable thing for an artist to do, he revealed himself in a way that Hollywood is unforgiving to. As opposed to saying, well, good try, but next time we're going to put you with a producer and a cinematographer who know what they're doing better than you do and let's try this again but with some people who are better filmmakers and with more experience who are going to keep you from your worst impulses but are going to uh, encourage your best impulses which is to be ambitious and to be to try and do something uh like he i read somewhere where he his goal was to take actors who had been typecast and give them better roles and the intention of that is great but you didn't give them better roles you actually (laughs) in order to do that like that's a great smart idea but then you also then have to give them better roles and direct them in a way that makes it makes us believe that john lovitz is a tough guy cop and not that he's a comedian trying to do this sort of very one note kind of role like the director should have helped him more the director should have helped these actors more than he did like he gave them the role and that was help but then it didn't set him up in a, in a great way i don't think and i pretty much across the board so many of these actors that was my experience was like oh john larroquette is in this this is great i am so excited and then we don't get a great Barraquette cinematic performance. We just get, I don't know, get him. He's not playing that far out of type. So, um, but maybe that's a good place to start is talking about the casting of this film because uh, I think it's pretty bad, um, but you don't. So why don't you start singing some of the praises of this? Uh, I just love seeing all these faces. Like, just the idea of, like, you're going to have Zelda Rubenstein and Wallace Shawn and and, uh, (laughs) Curtis Armstrong and John Larroquette and, like, all these faces that I hadn't seen in movies in a long time when this movie came out. I was like, oh, I forgot that these people are still around. Uh, And I feel like those are the type of people who aren't normally cast in, like, some big sci-fi comedy thing. And then just putting in all these SNL people is is strange. And I just think there's something about it that it's like, I think, because they, they talk about it's a mad, 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 mad world on the making of also. Mm-hmm. I can see that. <laughs> and, and like, that's a movie that uh, tries to put in all these people. Or like 1941 is the same sort of thing of like, we're going to have a movie with all the SNL people and Warren Oates and Robert Stack. And you're just like casting... Uh, you know, filling it up with all these people. Um, and I just, I there's something about 
that genre of or that type of movie that I really love and have always loved that a lot of people are very push push against it. And a lot of a lot of it has to do, I think, with these are filmmakers that aren't comedians. They don't make comedies. Uh, so like Steven Spielberg wasn't known for comedy <laughs> and then he made 1941, which is supposed to be the zany comedy. And like, it, um, you know, it's a mad, 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 mad world is, uh, directed by, um, Stanley Kramer, Stanley Kramer, who definitely wasn't known for comedies and he's making like the biggest slapstick comedy ever. And Richard Kelly, I think is kind of in the same thing of like Donnie Darko wasn't known for being f- really that funny. Uh, and you see interviews with him, he doesn't seem like he's funny, but he's like, I want to make a comedy. And it kind of reminds me of like, there's certain horror people who do that too. Like, I love horror movies, I make a horror movie, and their movies just aren't scary, because they just kind of understand the idea of it. And I think the people, though, that do these comedies, they'll just fill it with as many people as possible. And they'll, and I think with the thought behind it being like, these people will make it, well, they'll, they'll bring the material up, because I maybe am not like the funniest person but I want to make a comedy. And like, do you like 1941 and it's a mad, 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 mad world? Cause uh, a lot of people, a lot of people don't like those movies. They, a lot of people really hate those films. I do not hate those films. I, I wouldn't say that I love them either. Not the way you love them, but <laughs> I think it's clear that a film. So a film like 1941 is a film that this film is looking way up to. I feel like <laughs> cinematically, casting-wise, for all the things that 1941 gets wrong, it gets some basic movie-making things right that this film just doesn't. Um so, uh yeah, I mean the you when we talked about the cast I think it's interesting that you went to the bottom of the cast list and <laughs> looked for the people who were playing the interesting side characters. But our main characters of Dwayne Johnson, Sean William Scott, Sarah, Schme- Sarah Michelle Geller, and Mandy Moore, and Justin Timberlake, you have not really... Like, that's, well, I haven't that's gotten there you, yet. That's, <laughs> I, I always that's, start like, from that bottom is up. A, that is a... Uh, uh, yeah, that's. I, th- I think we always, I whenever we, we talk could... about these movies on these episodes, we always start bottom okay, up. Okay, we okay. always like you know we, we that we we did that for uh, for all the movies we talk about. We always start with the little people and the side I, I people, and then we work our way. People, but but <laughs> I, my, I guess I guess for, for me, like what I and I, I'm this we're really getting into the weeds here. I'm not trying to disagree, but when we talk about like. Island of Dr. Moreau, we're like, oh, well, Brando and Kilmer are amazing, but let's start with the first people. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone would say Dwayne Johnson and Sean William Scott are amazing in this movie, but first, let's talk about Carter, Curtis Room, uh, Armstrong and <laughs> Zelda Rubenstein. It's, that's where, like, Miranda Richardson is the first, uh, the first interesting person. And, like, oh, oh boy, yeah, now I, I do not want to be trashing this film, but I do want some acknowledgement that like when like where's the robert stack in this i guess christopher uh lambert is supposed to be like the robert stack (laughs) of this that he's christopher lambert is no robert stack this is 
this is some pretty bad like <laughs> Mandy Moore is not a is 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 not a great actor. By the way, I I did not get that Dwayne Johnson was the son of the I thought he was the going to be I thought Mandy Moore was the daughter. Yeah, no, she Well, oh, that's what I mean. That's what I mean that he's the son-in-law. Okay. Like he's the son-in-law. Yeah. So but I mean, you can, you're considered Yeah, no, he's, he's the son-in-law son of the Yeah, Mandy the, Moore is the daughter, but he's the son-in-law of these political right. figures. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's that, uh, you know, when you get married, you refer to him as mom and dad. I don't know. That's uh, but, but yeah, son-in-law, not but not not son. blood related. Right. <laughs> Nobody looks like Dwayne the Rock Johnson in this family. They're all pretty white. Yeah. Uh, so. and, and mushy. They're white and mushy. But, he is. He is the opposite. He is. <laughs> there's not a mushy aspect to this fellow, other than his performance in this movie, which is just sort of like. Oh man, how did this? Like, I'm so glad that he that this didn't derail. His career, because this is a weird performance. Yeah, it's weird because he's doing he's this is like fresh from him still doing wrestling. And like the only movie he did before this was The Rundown, also with Sean William Scott. So clearly Richard Kelly, big Peter Berg's The Rundown fan. And there's just something he's still kind of performing in in the way of like I'm reaching the back audience of the wrestling arena. It's a lot of the eyebrow arcing and like he's got these ridiculous lines and he's definitely like really going for it and he has gotten to become a much 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 better actor like see something like uh pain and gain which is also a ridiculous kind of movie but he is so grounded in it but i think this was one of those movies where everyone i don't i think the directing of the actors was really just like go big do it do just do it <laughs> i don't think anyone got any uh, notes on their performances, which I mean, I guess you could say that's the like the direct like, shame on you, director, yeah, for doing that. that. Is, but at the same, yeah. but at the same time, but that's also an interesting experiment to just be like, I'm making this crazy movie about this crazy future uh, in this crazy, you know, phony town like L.A. Uh, let's just have everyone go crazy and be big and just do what they want, and we'll just throw it together and see what happens, like a collage almost, like just a. Like that, like I think there is that kind of art. I'm I'm okay with also existing <laughs> at the same time as something like uh, Magnolia, where you can tell that every performance was discussed and there's nuances and it's more grounded. You know, nobody's really going huge and big in Magnolia in a way that doesn't make sense. So I but just like, wanna, I, I, I want to <laughs> be I want to be clear, uh, Dwayne before before Southland Tales, uh, Dwayne Johnson he did the rundown. He did Walking Tall. Oh, yeah. He did Be Cool. Be Cool. He was great in Be Cool. And the same year as Southland Tales, he was in Gridiron Gang, directed by Mm. Juwanu. And he's great in that. So, no, this is not... It's not that he hadn't figured out how to be a good actor. He already knew how to be a good actor. And Richard Kelly? Yeah. Right? Richard (laughs) Kelly... Like this, this weird choice of having him do this weird finger thing where he's like, "Oh, I'm a little nerdy man who can't do." Like, I love it. I love it. It's a very bad, uh. demonstrative <laughs> choice, and clearly, that's the director's choice. That's not just saying, "Hey, Dwayne, do whatever." You make your choices because he's in, and no other movie is he making that kind of thing and so maybe that's <laughs> like I, I get that I, just, I, I get that someone could like that 
But I love also, it. I... <laughs> you have to admit that that is a. You have to admit that that is a choice that is. It is bad acting. That it, like there. That's not a on it. That's not. It's not a thing that comes from anything organic to the character. It is a very like stylized choice that is very surfacey and it's supposed to, what is the point is the point to make us think he is weak because that is then you should have cast somebody other than the strongest man in the world like there's <laughs> there are other ways to show him as being weak than to But have then that him would be it, too believable. Well, Why do you want this movie? You want this movie to be like a a reality. It's not this a movie reality. Is a cra- this movie or, like this movie is a crazy over the top fantasy like nothing in this movie is real nothing in this movie is anything i can relate to at all and that's great (laughs) like i want a movie where someone's got a weird tick and it doesn't make any sense like i there's just something about that that really is exciting to me (laughs) to see somebody just try these strange ideas in a big movie and they might not work, and they don't all work, and I agree. And I, that's like I said, I understand why people watch this and say, this is dumb, or I don't understand these choices. But, like, I don't know. I just, I, and maybe I don't even know why I like this movie so much, but I do. Like, the people that are appalled by it, I am, like, pulled into it. <laughs> and this is, this is why I wanted to do it on the show. And I was, I kind of figured that you wouldn't like it, because nobody does. <laughs> but I, like... I don't know. I just, it's just one of those movies that I am really just in, just, just like totally like into. And I kind of like, you know me, why do you think I like this movie so much? Cause maybe I'm just kind of blinded, but like, I, I just, every moment of this movie, I'm just like, so like, just love it. The way he eats salad is really weird. That <laughs> where he's eating it with his hands and it yeah. looks dry. Yeah. That's, that's odd. I noticed that. And, and the what about graphic, her? What about his? Graphic, what about his fan? The woman, Cheeto the eating, woman, she, the Cheeto eating fan. <laughs> Cheeto eating. And there, there's something about these. There's certain comedies, and I think if this wasn't a comedy or wasn't trying to become, I might, I wouldn't like it because I'm not a big sci-fi fan. And like Cloud Atlas, I'm, I like that movie, but I don't. I still have a lot of problems with it. But like, I again enjoy why that movie goes for it. But like. But the fact that this is trying, like, there's something about comedies that try so hard to be funny, and everyone thinks it's not funny, but then I always end up being like, I really like that movie. I think it's funny. And, it's just so, and I'm not trying to be different. I've never liked things just to be, you know, a jerk. Uh, so I don't know. Like, like, this is sort of like my love of Adam Sandler movies and other things that a lot of people are just like, this is shit. And I'm like, no, there's something here. I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to share it. Like, and I feel I've won you over with Jack and Jill, and I've won other people over with Sandler things. But this is the hard. This is definitely one of the hardest movies for me to like. Well, this is like the opposite. People to, like, I feel like this is the opposite of a Sandler film because with Sandler, it is like the 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 overwhelming lack of ambition. But it's but every beat, but he is committed to comedy and to beats and to yeah. gags and to like, so there's a like, and this is the op, yeah, opposite. Is the opposite. It has the ambition, but is not committed to the gag. Because what's it's, funny is like, I've never thought of this movie as being a comedy, really. 
but it's funny to me. But then when you watch the making of, they're all talking about like, we wanted to make the funniest comedy, this crazy comedy. And uh, I mean, I think this movie is comedic, but it, to me, there's like parts that feel just really mysterious and kind of sad and like, uh, it's strange and this kind of like world. But I, yeah, I just feel like it's not, I wouldn't say it's just a comedy. It feels like it's every type of movie put into one thing. But uh even though you're casting com- <laughs> comedians in it. But a lot of people don't think uh, 1941's funny either. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's, I just like... I like these kind of big swing, star-studded... Like, I haven't seen the new Adam McKay movie, but I'm sure I'll really like it. Which, the... The End of the World one. Which really? is every famous person crammed into it, and it's trying to be this big, many ideas, sort of big swing movie. I just like that kind of, or even if I don't think it works, I'm glad. I'm really glad I watched wait, it. I'm wait, really wait, glad when people on make a this. Because I was trying to get you to watch Winning Time, and you were like, "I hate Adam McKay. Adam McKay sucks now. <laughs> I hate him. Everyone hates him. Why? What? Why are you pretending like you like him now? Like, I think that I watched this movie, and I was like, the reason why I love this movie is the reason why other people love his stuff, and I'm so against it. I shouldn't be, because what's the difference? I should watch the other thing, too, that I think also looks like these too many ideas, big swing, star-studded, in-your-face movie. So at, watching Southland Tales made me think of Adam McKay, and I was like, I should watch Vice. I should watch that Comet movie, whatever it's called. Yeah. And, well, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, recommend Don't Look Up. I think it's pretty bad. But in general, I really like Adam McKay. Um, and I'm not like, I don't like, don't look up because it's liberal propaganda. I don't like to, don't look up because it's bad liberal propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Vice and The Big Short is particularly, I think The Big Short is, is great. And I loved his winning time. Yeah. So anyway, back to this <laughs> film. I think it's worth noting, and it, there's something that this this made my ears perk up in the making of that. So Richard Kelly's an, a, a weird kind of anomaly. Of he's one of those people in Hollywood who was able to make his first movie, but then he never made anything before it. Like he somehow was able to make Donnie Darko from seemingly coming out of nowhere. Like I'm assuming maybe he just wrote a bunch of scripts and had a really good manager. But usually you don't just get to make a movie like that other people pay for for your first movie usually you have to like do it on your own and figure it out you know and so that there's something weird about like even Donnie Darko which I don't really like that much just coming out of that and then going right into this and then like I, he think he made like a short film before it or something yeah, but like to be his, able to like I'm looking to at make... his Wikipedia he made two short films at USC the Goodbye Place and Visceral Matter before graduating in 1997. He was uh, then, he had a scholarship to USC to study at the USC School of Cinema and Television. So. Yeah, and he's and he's always been obsessed with this like Philip K. Dick thing. Like his shorts, when you read about them, they sound they're like they're about sci-fi elements. Donnie Darko's clearly him trying to do like a. Philip K. Dick sort of stuff. And even in this movie, Southland Tales, like the John Lovett says, Flow My Tears, which is the name of a Philip K. Dick book, Flow My Tears, the policeman said. So he's a man who's like obsessed with that kind of storytelling. And again, like it's a, it's a hard thing to pull off because Philip K. Dick stuff, if done 
not like because like that's why a lot of his movies don't work based on his stuff because like his stuff is so complicated and so like that kind of sci-fi of multiple identities and multiple realities and all these things he's always really aiming high and it takes someone like a Paul Verhoeven with Total Recall to really make it work to a to a point where it's successful and he just I, I just I even though I like this movie I get like it doesn't make sense the movie like Total Recall makes sense to me even though it's complicated. This movie doesn't make a lot of sense, but again, I don't care. <laughs> and I think it's also worth noting that before he made any movies, he was like a production assistant for Oliver Stone. And Oliver Stone is a filmmaker who sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, where he really tries to put in a lot of stuff, a lot of ideas in his movies. And either it works like a Natural Born Killers or JFK or it doesn't work like uh, in some of his other movies, and uh, but I feel like I can Which see ones do him. You think don't work. I think that Savages doesn't work at all. I couldn't even finish that movie, and he's trying to do something kind of over the top with that one, and I'm just like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that The Doors doesn't quite work, though. I do enjoy that movie. It does. There's something wrong with it. <laughs> but, well, yeah, there's something love, wrong I, with it from the outset because <laughs> Pamela Morrison po- has control. Her family has control over the Jim Morrison story, so they had to turn Pamela but, into some America's sweetheart, played by Meg Ryan, instead of the <laughs> totally wild, witchy, heroin addict, abusive force that was equal to Jim Morrison. So then that. That throws off the whole movie. So, <laughs> or like we did uh, U-turn for um, for which another person's podcast, which I love. Uh, and that's one where it's him having people act real big, and it's a lot of weird ideas. Or Nixon is that way too. And like I think, like Oliver Stone gets it mostly right. And I do, and I, I do love the Doors. I just think there's just some parts that don't work. But like, yeah. he mostly gets it right. It's a lie, uh, but. <laughs> And I think Richard Kelly is maybe inspired by that idea of like, you're angry, but you're also trying to put all these things in and you're going to put all these stars in your movie and it's going to be three hours long and you're just, you're just going to just go for it stylistically and just kind of just do whatever thing that you can think of. Like you're going to ape Goodfellas in this movie and Brazil and you're just going to throw it all in. But the thing is, Oliver Stone makes it work. Like Nixon in any other person's hands would be a, a silly movie. It would be dumb, but that just works. Like it, it's okay that it gets a little over the top or it gets kind of out there. Or Natural Born Killers is, I think, a very funny movie and a very intentionally strange but works movie. And I think Richard Kelly was maybe trying, a little, trying to do a little Oliver Stone in a way, <laughs> but without the, yeah, the I'm, uh, I'm great reading, editor. Uh, I'm reading here that he... He, he has written an adaptation of Kurt Vonnegut's Kate's, uh, Cat's Cradle. Have you ever yeah. read that? A long, long time ago. Yeah, that was the first novel I ever, like the first adult novel I ever read. And so for a long time, it was like my favorite. And I could see this, like this is an attempt to make that kind of a thing. And yeah, it's, I should love it. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like with a film like this, it's some large percentage of the way towards being the kind of film that I crave, which is why I was very excited to watch it. But that sets it up in other ways to fail because if it doesn't <laughs> achieve that, 
And I feel like some places it does. Like, like the film's obsession with shit and toilets and you poo too. Like the 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 amount of literal shit that is squeezed <laughs> into this movie. That is like I feel like that's that's a it, it's actually a clever choice, and it could like if it was if the story on top of it. Like if it just it achieved the right kind of cinematic harmony, it would be. I think this could be a film that's was a was a big success for me. Not a big success in the world. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, it didn't. But I think that's just it's funny the that chan- I th- what I find is that sorry, I, was like, I find it funny that a lot of the things that I appreciated about it you didn't even see. <laughs> like Eli Roth dies on a toilet. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, there is a lot. Well, now that you talk about it, there's a lot of toilets and stuff. I just never thought about this movie's being scatological at all. Even though they're wearing shirts, the police wear shirts that say, you poo too. I figure that just meant everybody something, poops. that it stood for something. <laughs> this is the, the era of everybody poops, right? Isn't that well, what I guess that when you think about it, it all ties in with like what this the lady's doing in the in the spy, like the intel thing, is that he's, she's watching people go to the bathroom. Right. Like, that's her job. And so it's gone, like... This is what he thinks is like, this is where the Patriot Act will live is we'll just be like watching everybody go to the bathroom. And so then you're going to make a movie where you see constant toilets and people. Oh, yeah, because there's the big toilet sculpture and Cherry O'Terry's like warehouse loft and place. And the guy gets killed in the toilet. The guy gets like killed in it. And in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the, the tape, when they're putting the tape, they have to go into a bathroom and open up above the toilet and put the tape in the toilet. Uh, yeah. So there's quite a bit of... Uh, bathroom <laughs> yeah which i think to me it's just that part of everything is, else in this movie <laughs> that and like the 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 porn stars and the set like i could see myself doing all of that like putting all of that into a screenplay <laughs> and thinking this is brilliant i don't think i could see myself casting sarah michelle geller in that role <laughs> i i would want to find a more of like a what's that great woman who's in uh Who's in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Who plays the porn star? Oh, um, is that uh, Edie? What's her name? Yeah, Edie Williams. Edie Williams. That's like yeah. that's what that role needs is someone who is functioning on that. Le- like, watch those two performances. Watch Sarah Michelle Gellar <laughs> in this, and then watch Edie Williams in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and you'll see what I'm talking about. About where I feel like. This film needs actors who are able to elevate. And Sarah Michelle, Michelle Geller is great, but she's not she's not going to elevate a, a performance. It's all it's very her performance is very sort of grounded and real, um, which could work, could work. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to keep trying to pull myself back. <laughs> being. Uh, I want to. I want my judgmental, uh, my judgments of this film to be grounded in appreciation for the attempt, and I feel like there's a lot of smart stuff in the script that I wish was fulfilled upon. But go on, sorry, <laughs> to everyone who loves this film, <laughs> me. <laughs> I would like to hear from the people that do love this film. I'd like to meet them. Yeah, I would like to talk. I would, I would like love to talk for you to, them. to meet them. 
like I want to know what it's like to talk to someone about this movie and have them because I because I feel like you all of your points are very valid and they all make total sense to me and I'm thinking of everything you say and I'm like yeah you're and you're, I feel you're kind of right in everything that you're saying yet doesn't matter even with with it. all it doesn't matter <laughs> I love this movie I was excited to watch it again because I've only watched the con cut and I'm like oh now I'm gonna watch the regular cut just this morning just kind of going skipping through it to talk about it today i'm like i really like this movie a lot and i would love to like i can i feel i can explain why i loved like after last season which you couldn't even finish <laughs> like i know why i love that movie i can i can write a that. i can write a paper on that like i know exactly what that movie hit and what button it's hitting and why i like it so much this one i don't i really don't know because i agree that Dwayne the Rock Johnson isn't the best in it. And I agree that it's a mess and it doesn't really work. But for some reason, at the end of the day, it does work. And when I'm watching it, I'm like so in love with it. And like, I think you're better at knowing when we watch these movies that we disagree on, like say uh, Mordecai, you're really good at explaining why you love it so much, you know, and what is it that you're getting out of it. And I feel like, I ran into this problem also with even Cowgirls Get the Blues where I don't know why I like it so much, but I do. And I'm not, and like, if someone made me write a paper about them to explain what's so great about it, I don't know if I could even do that. It's like an emotional something within me <laughs> that like makes me really get great joy out of these kind of movies. Uh, even Cowgirls Get the Blues actually is very similar in the way of, like, just fill it with celebrities. You're trying to make this comedy. Most people don't think it's funny. I get every complaint you have about that movie, too, and yet I still love it. And I didn't make these movies, and I don't know anyone who made it, so I don't know why I would have any feelings about it. I'm not lying. I do genuinely love this movie. And I don't know why. I just don't. Like, it's just sometimes there's a movie or art like that where I just don't know why I like this. Like, it, what, like there's got to be something like that for you that you love it so much and you understand why everyone hates it, but you don't care and you don't even know why you love it so much. Is there something like that for you? I'm trying to think if there's something. Like is... even an album or something where you know why everyone thinks it's shit or why everyone's so against it. But you just like it. And it's not like... I didn't watch this when I was a child. Like, there's certain things where it's like, oh, well, I liked this as a kid, and that's why I really like it now, even though I understand that it's crap or, or it doesn't work. But I just, like... I've seen this movie a bunch now, and every time I get, like... I like it so much, it gives me fucking goosebumps, which rarely happens in movies where I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, oh, I'm so into this movie that my body's having a reaction to it, which is very strange. <laughs> but... I think probably the one that's most like that has to be Mordecai because I still I don't think but, I've met anyone yet who. But you, likes but you it know there. why you like it though. You could tell. You told me very yeah, clearly. No, I don't why know you like why other movie. people don't like it. I don't understand why. Really? Why, yeah. No, I. <laughs> you that's what, really? I, li I do not. <laughs> when people talk about not liking this movie, I just think that they are being huh. mean. I don't. I don't think. Okay. Like, I don't feel like people are like. Oh, I have an intelligent take on why. Like, what, uh, like, I just hear people being like, "Oh, this is so stupid." Like, that's like, <laughs> maybe they are making really good points, but uh, that's all I hear is people just being mean <laughs> for the sake of being mean, like picking on a nerd. Like, 
Why do you hate him? Because he's such a nerd. Well, that doesn't explain why you hate him. Like because like what what I think what is the, being the a nerd dislike, do that makes you want to punch that person. I don't. I, understand I know that for thing. me with Mordecai, the dislike of it was a gut reaction sort of thing. <laughs> Like, I get that I there's comedies that don't. I don't I, and I'm just like, I don't like this movie. Like, I don't like it. And it's just, and it's the opposite with this where, I like, my gut is like, I like this movie. And I'm like, my brain is like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. I just, there's something about every weird thing that doesn't make any sense. Like, why does, do I, like, there's so many questions I have every time I watch this. And they never get answered. And I don't care. Like, I don't, why... Is all of a sudden Boxer Santeros' Jesus tattoo bleeding through his shirt? What does that have to do with another dimension? What is the... Like, what? Yeah, you didn't like, even I mention like, the other dimension get... in the, your description. Yeah, and That's why, is, and why is there another dimension? Like, And then, like, you have this thing with these... It's just, like, so much of it is just a mess, yet I don't care. Like, I don't really understand what Will Sasso's up to in this movie... He, I guess he's a bad guy or he's a terrorist. Like, I don't really understand what he has to do with the plot exactly or how it all... It's just like, what is Janine Garofalo up to in the director? It's just like, it's all very... Like, I don't understand the meaning of, like, why do you do a Goodfellas shot with Biling to this thing? Or why do you have all of a sudden Beethoven's Ninth Symphony playing? What does that mean? What is the way... Why does using Wave of Mutilation mean? Why... Are we seeing Justin Timberlake lip sync to this recent killer song? Like what? It's just like there's all these things that just feel like unfinished and unanswered. And even Richard Kelly says he doesn't think this movie's finished. He's not happy with it. It he like, he doesn't he he showed the unfinished version at Cannes. He shouldn't have done it. And he still feels like he was hoping to get the money to finish it after Cannes, and he didn't get that for special effects. But also just the fact that he kept changing the script, even. While they was cast and while they were starting to make it, he had the idea to have Sean William Scott be the same person. Originally, it was going to be, I think, two different, just an actual twin brothers. And he thought of the idea, which is the ending of the movie, this whole plot of them being the same soul in two different, in two different bodies. And so like, you're thinking of these big ideas, these things that kind of maybe need more backing. While you're in pre-production, while you're in production, you're just coming up with just... But I kind of like that sort of automatic writing version of filmmaking where I, I can't think of other people that really do that other than like experiment truly experimental filmmakers where you're just like going with your instinct and you're just going with feelings and ideas and you're not questioning it you're just throwing it on paper almost like burrows with naked lunch or something like that you're just you're just kind of doing an automatic writing but with a camera <laughs> and millions of dollars and i think maybe that's why i like this movie <laughs> Because that is such a wild idea to try to make a movie that way. Like, I would never do that. Like, I would be very thoughtful about everything that I did. And I guess it's, it's your, like, when you're an actor signing up for something like this, you just, you're just taking a chance on whether you'll be portrayed as good or not. You know, when the director says, okay, start looking worried and start tapping your fingers together, you just do it in the hopes that it'll land and then it doesn't. <laughs> but. You know, yeah, that's, I don't, that's, I really that's like a sad that. thing about being an actor. <laughs> that one I don't like is because at that point, The Rock is actually is is has already been a good actor and is be and is capable of being a good actor. So and I honestly I've been I, I've been in films, luckily short films that nobody's seen 
where directors have may asked me to make that that kind of literally that kind of dumb choice. Like there's a scene in a friend's film where I play a bartender and his girlfriend is picking on him at the bar and he had me like shake my hands and go like, ah, 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 you know, like, and I'm like, this isn't very true, but it's your comedy. So, but if he had had me in a movie and I was like on the verge of stardom, like the rock and he had me doing that in every other scene, I think I would be like, dude, this is not, don't. But I, but everybody who made this movie, none of them have anything bad to say about it, which I find cool. Where like like you watch the making of, and John Lovitz is like, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm, I'm this is but I'm having a great time. And Curtis Armstrong saying to the point of like his manager wept while reading the script because he just didn't understand it, and he but like being it, and then recent ish, Justin Timberlake was like, oh yeah, I really like that movie. It's like performance art. There's just something like. And this movie has, even though we're covering it, it has started to slowly, very tinily get a trickle of, of people getting into it. Like, they recently showed it in New York City at, uh, I forget which theater, of just sort of like a revisit of this film. And then there's this big fancy Blu-ray set with a essay in it that you'll love where they compare uh, him to Orson Welles and this to his magnificent Ampersons. So... <laughs> Clearly, there's other people out there that are, like, thinking in a different way about this film, whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> so, we'll, we'll see. We'll see uh, if, it, if, it, if, if that holds up and there's anyone else left to praise it or if it's still just sort of the thing that I, that I like. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, at Cannes, it was in competition with Marie Antoinette and Richard Linklater's <laughs> Fast Food Nation, a film that I've never seen. Have you seen Fast Food Nation? I have not. But Mary Antoinette was another movie a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. But that I think movie's great. People have come around on that one. Yeah. And Fast Food Nation, no one's come around on that yet. But, uh, you know, Linklater's I, loved by I, all, all I the time. I kind of want to check it out. Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke. I think, and I think that's another one where it's a kind of a lot of people in it, a lot of celebs, and it's a lot of ideas thrown into that. So I should definitely check that out because clearly these are the types of movies I'm into. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that I stunk up our run of good. No, <laughs> but, no. I'm, but hey, it took us till uh, this is you know ten episodes in or whatever to this do. This is an important film <laughs> to cover. I think you know it's clearly. <laughs> very valuable to you and i'm glad that i got a chance to see it and it just it, it i think i think filmmakers with great ambition should watch a film like this because i i feel like it will i think a, i think if someone had been able to show this film to richard kelly before he made this film he would have made a better film he would have seen like it's great to have have be wildly ambitious and have crazy ideas and keep throwing things in, but then you have to be able to turn on another much more critical part of your va- your brain as the director to know what to cut, what to retake, you know what to you know how to give uh, put a frame around it in a way that allows you to to live in this place. Whereas my experience, it sounds like a lot of people was just 
the film is constantly pushing you away and you're having to fight upstream against what's bad about the film to get at what's good at the about the film. And by the end, the whole experience is just exhausting. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that and be, exhausting can be a can be a good experience from a film. But uh, I'm curious: are do you appreciate the film more now that you are hooked? clued into its scatological obsessions <laughs> uh it's gonna make me i'm excited to watch it again now i feel like every time i watch it i'm picking up on, on a new new wavelength of something but yeah is i'm all for scatological uh movies with will yeah. sasso um so. <laughs> are you a fan of sean william scott i am no i really like him a lot and he i think he's really great in this movie he's like the the most He's the actor I'm into the most in this movie. And I feel like he just has... There's just something like at the end when he's forgiven himself for friend, committing friendly fire that I just I get like a... Mo, yeah, he, there's something about... Because he looks really broy, and it doesn't help that he started in like the American Pie movies, though he's great in those movies. But I just... There's something I really like about it. Like, dude, where's my car? He's great in that. And um, I think I watched the Cribs episode with him in it. And it was great because it was after he was famous. This was probably after American Pie 2. And he was living with like just like five other people. And it just looked like an Olympia house, like an old Olympia house where he had like a hole in the floor of the kitchen that he had to like jump over. And just the fact he's living, because he's Canadian, I believe, and uh, just living in this squalor, even though you're rich and famous just because uh, whatever, it's your thing. Or no, he's not Canadian. He's from Minnesota. He just feels like he's Canadian. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I really like him a lot. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I was talking about this with someone at, at the Austin Film Society. That, like, I feel like he's going to break. He's going to have some time, someday, wouldn't it be great if he has the movie where everyone thinks he's a really good actor in? Like sort of like how that uh, movie Red Rocket did for Simon Rex. Like, there'll be some filmmaker who knows how to really tap into Sean William Scott and give him his, like, award-winning role. Like, the older he gets, I feel like we could get something. Because there's just something kind of, like, I just, there's something kind of, there's just something really likable about him to me. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I really like Sean William Scott. <laughs> cool. I'm glad you do. <laughs> uh, just to cut, like... A, what about Sarah Michelle Gellar? Are you a fan of Sarah Michelle Gellar? Oh, yeah. I think she's really good. I like her. Like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is fantastic. I think she's great in it. And I agree. I don't think she's doing anything new or different here. I like her in this role. I think she's very funny. Um, but I, I feel like she definitely, I think, maybe has a limitation as an actress. I feel like there's there's only so much that she can do. But then again, she's great in Buffy. So I don't know. Like, I feel like we haven't seen a lot of her in kind of movies where she's allowed to really, you know, act a lot. Cruel Intentions is pretty good. The film, you know, her character is the is totally the Phoebe Zeitgeist type yeah. thing. And that's why I wish that they had cast someone who, uh, I don't know, who, who seemed more like the most outrageous porn star and more like, and less like the most obvious porn star. Um, <laughs> Mandy Moore. Are you a fan of Mandy Moore? 
I don't really have an opinion on Mandy Moore. She's fine. I've never seen the show that she's on now. I don't... Yeah, because isn't she on that show, that, The Story of Us? Is that Mandy Moore? I think. Is that uh, is that what she's on? I, that seems right. <laughs> this is Us. Yeah, 2016 yeah. 2022. Yeah, she's okay. Like, I, you know, I really don't have any feelings. She's just like one of those, you know... 90s you know child stars that grew up and was in things but are just nothing really to write home about for me you know yeah uh i'm not gonna go keep going down the list uh i know we both (laughs) like we like justin timberlake in some things yeah Uh, you know you like him in this yeah Uh, his narration i like like it uh I want more John Larroquette in anything. He's great. He's a great... He's just... There's something so funny about him all the time. Like skin... In uh, uh, Blind Date. In the Blake Edwards movie, Blind Date. He's so good in a night court. And like... I just... Yeah. Like, seeing him uh, in this get his balls zapped by Nora Dunn. Yeah. I'm in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how about Nora Dunn? Uh, Nora Dunn. Uh, are you a fan of, of Nora Dunn? Yeah, she kind of reminds me of someone that would be related to me. She feels like an aunt of mine or something. I like. I really like her in Three Kings a lot. Yeah, she's. And I, I think and, that might be the only thing I like her in. And she wasn't on SNL that long. So, and it was kind of when I was too young because I don't remember her that much and what she did on that. But um, I like her here. I like her and her partner kind of being these sort of like middle-aged mom terrorists. <laughs> something about that that I enjoy. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not. Uh... And I want. And I want more scenes in movies of John Lovitz and Sherry O'Terry like getting sexual. No, thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah i think i i will say i think the worst aspect of this film is the casting i would love i would love to oh what was the film i was thinking i was thinking of a film like if you could just take the entire cast of this movie and put it in this in into southland tales it would be better uh Hmm. i can't remember which it was but let's just say any movie (laughs) Uh, <laughs> let's try Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> like, what, yeah. Okay. No, I don't know. Uh, I, I really, that's where I feel, I, I feel like that is the weakest. I feel like if there had been a, a more like the whole idea is that Dwayne, the rock Johnson is a movie star in this, which at the time he doesn't feel like a movie star. He feels like a wrestling star. Like if they had cast Tom Cruise, as that role or Brad Pitt or something yeah. Yeah, like someone who, yeah, was that, that, that would have been better. And if they had cast, uh, like, I, I, I don't think that all the, the Saturday night live casting works for me. Like, I feel like that, uh, that's, it takes me out of the movie. I, I wish that all, they had just cast the best actors for all those roles instead of Richard Kelly trying to, do again an admirable thing by giving these actors who he sees as 
far more talented than the kind of things they usually get. But because of the combination of that, they are, that they are, they have all these actors have sort of ruined their cinematic brand by playing those sort of two dimensional characters in lots of movies. And then that they're not given a three dimensional, they're not given an opportunity to do something different that they're still playing the kind of roles they play in like a McHale's Navy or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, knock off of a SNL spinoff kind of movies that they were, that those kind of, the, like they got the low rent SNL stars, not the, like they don't have Adam Sandler in this. They don't have, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, even like the people who are on it, who didn't break out but became but broke out afterwards, like the, you know, Julia Louis Dreyfus or Sarah Silverman's, you know, they're definitely going from that sort of professional groundlings style actor, um, which, yeah, I I would I I wish he could get a redo. I would love. I wish I, I wish this director got to do a redo, total recast. Do it. Southland Tales Redux. <laughs> well, he says he's working on something. He's like, he, like in the DVD from last year, he's like, I'm not finished with Southland Tales. It's like, okay. So what does that mean? I don't know. So I figured out the movie. I total. I, it took me all this time, but I've been trying to think of the movie that everyone loves that I think is like this. Wait, and what is it? Get ready to hate me, people. Idiocracy. Everyone thinks it's such a smart... That movie's great! It, everyone thinks it's such a smart... Like, oh my God, he predicted the future. No, the film... It, yes, it is. It is smart in predicting that people are going to be idiots and love a film like Idiocracy as if it's an intelligent movie. When it's, It is. It's, it's so it's fu funny. It, hey, it's fine. Like I'm saying, it is fine. It is a fine <laughs> film. It is not... What the way the way people talk about it is like Doctor Strangelove, and it is not. <laughs> it's not this deep. Yeah, I want to come up with the dumbest. I, like people who say that movie is great are the same kind of people who say, <laughs> "But it's got electrolytes." It's the film. That film is <laughs> full that of joke electrolytes. Is so good. That movie is great. That it's, is a really funny it's movie. It's fine. Again, it's, it's so fine. funny. It's not better than <laughs> Southland Tales. It's not better than uh, Idiocracy? Uh, yeah, I bet it's... I don't know. I really like Idiocracy a lot. Like, I like Mike Judge a lot. I like Mike Judge. Office, office I, Space I is great. I would hope and, that if I met Mike uh, Judge and I said, you know what? Idiocracy is not as smart as people think it is. He'd be like, you're right. <laughs> people are stupid. It is not as... It is not my best work. <laughs> I don't... But, but sometimes when smart people make things about dumb people, it comes off as condescending. That movie so comes maybe off as the, incredibly uh, condescending. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, and, but I just, there's something about, I, I really like that movie a lot. Like that movie well, see, is great. I needed it's, to, I needed to, to throw myself under the bus and let people oh, know. Yeah. I love it. Everyone loves that movie. Everyone. Yeah. And I'm just saying everyone who says that that movie is so smart is revealing themselves as not <laughs> that smart. It's fine. It is fine for a movie to make a bunch of dumb jokes about dumb people and for it to be a very funny, dumb comedy. It is a very funny, dumb comedy. It is not 
what people the way people talk about it as if it's like it is the most prescient film a bit of sat film satire ever created no do people not. really say that every time it comes up people are like i bet he's feels so so great about i just i heard it on a recent podcast on uh the flop house they were talking it came up and like do you think he ever gets sick of how much that film is prescient at predicting the future and they were like, oh, yeah, I bet he wishes it wasn't so. And I'm like, well, he, <laughs> then his wish came true because, it, yeah, I'm, ugh. yes, people are stupid. Yes, we have we are run by idiots in a lot of ways. But part of that is elevating. And whatever, I don't this is not a show where we trash on films. I, my point is just that this is my way of trying to throw my arm around Southland Tales and say, <laughs> Your film is not dumber than Idiocracy. <laughs> and for some reason, that the humor in Idi- Idiocracy landed with a, a huge number of people. Uh, and a film like this did not land with a huge number of people. But I feel like their quality is totally equivalent. So uh, I'm trying to help you out, Brian. That's all. <laughs> And I love Idiocracy, man. I can't believe you don't like that movie. I didn't even say I didn't but, like it. I didn't say I didn't like it. I just said that people who think it's really smart are not very smart. That's my, the I, thing I, is, though, but we know that Mike Judge is really smart. So that is a smart person making that movie. So it's got to be a choice to make it more toilety and less like a Dr. Strangelove. You know? So, like, knowing that Mike Judge is a very intelligent man and has made very intelligent things. But, I mean, like, all this stuff is, like, like Beavis and Butthead, I feel, is really funny. I wouldn't call it smart in terms of, like, yeah, it's not, like, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> but, like, within the world that he works in, or like King of the Hill, there's something about... And I don't know, like, I, 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 yeah, I don't even know what... But I feel it's also not fair to compare like it to like one of the great comedies of all time. Like most comedies won't be as good as Doctor Strangelove because it's like top tier, really. And but Terry Southern made other movies that were not as smart or good as Doctor Strangelove. In fact, bad. He made some bad movies. Um, I think it's just hard to do. I think it's hard to make that kind of comedy. Terry Southern ever made a movie. He didn't. He just write movies. He never. Yeah. But so like wrote the movies that been are great all great. For those films before the uh, maybe bad yeah choices. yeah. Um, but I think it's hard to make these kind of movies that are full of all these jokes and ideas, and especially when you're trying to cram it all in. And sometimes they work like Hell's a Poppin, and sometimes they don't work for people like a Southland Tales. Oh, can we? But yeah, I was thinking the whole time I was, I was like, oh my god, this is just makes this 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 really elevates Hell's a Poppin. <laughs> wow that's that's a film that does everything right that it's trying to do it doesn't have the you know, the same scatological obsessions as southland tales even southland i love south is like is where you you know is where your ass is and where where you shit is out of the side <laughs> these are it is i think the more you look into this movie the more you the movie is telling you contemplate your bowel movements it's just, <laughs> it is 
My precious bodily fluids. Yeah, <clears throat> it is shit. This movie is <laughs> the shit. It is either shit or the shit, depending upon... To how, me, it's the shit. Like, to you, it's shit. Well, <laughs> next month, I'll do better, I promise. This, this is great. <laughs> no, this is... Um, I feel like I'm always the one that... <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll get, I'll be on a good track and then I'll just stink it up with something. But you never know. Just like with Richard Kelly making this movie, you never know if it'll land with you or not. You yeah. Know? Sometimes it like, does. I mean, there were, I'm glad I got the, ex- I, I'm glad I had the experience of this film. You know, I never, I don't think I ever regret <laughs> the experience of the films. I mean, you know, going back to even Cowgirls Get the Blues, that that was diff- different because I had like a loyalty to the book so that I can't get over that. But there was aspects of this that made me think of maybe that's why you like it. There is something that is even Cowgirls Get the Bluesy about this movie. Um, definitely, definitely. You know, with the women fighting back, like it's a it's an this is not not what I don't like about the movie. I, you know, I'm I'm all for porn stars, you know, porn star led revolutions. Um, <laughs> but oh, I wish someone could make a really good movie about that. Like that's what I <laughs> I wish someone would make the really good movie, the make the Phoebe Phoebe Zeitgeist movie that has never been made. Um mm. we we I keep referencing that. People don't really know what Phoebe Zeitgeist. No, I don't think most people know what that is. Phoebe Explain Zeitgeist it before we leave. Is a comic book series that was created by. It's called The Adventures of Phoebe Zeitgeist, and it was created by Michael O'Donoghue, um, the sort of National Lampoon's first sort of original genius writer before he was part of that, when he was writing for the Evergreen Review. And for some reason, I thought that Terry Southern was involved in it in some way, but it not, it's not. It was written by Michael O'Donoghue, drawn by Frank Springer. I feel like it was very much the inspiration for Kill Bill. Hmm. I feel like her, the Phoebe Zeitgeist character, uh, Uma Thurman's character in Kill Bill is... A sort of tougher, more even more empowered version of the Phoebe Zeitgeist, because Phoebe Zeitgeist was sort of this. She was drawn as a comic book, you know, I don't know, over idealized feminine form. She was always scantily clad, and then getting kidnapped or taken, you know, taken prisoner by Nazis, and then fighting back. And ultimately winning after being like physically abused in some way. And if you watch, like, there's there's actually uh, photos of Michael O'Donoghue and Tarantino hanging out and in the early '90s before O'Donoghue died. And I've always thought that in those photos they're talking about a Phoebe Zeitgeist movie that ins- went on to inspire. Uh, Tarantino to take that and put it into Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. So um, I think yeah, it's 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 a wild and weird and crazy comic. I encourage people to track it down if they can find it. And uh, pretty much anything that Michael O'Donoghue touches is yeah. worth giving a look yeah. at. 
and uh, and I wish more like I feel like we could do an maybe we just did it, but we could do an episode about Kill Bill just talking about how it's Phoebe Zeitgeist. That's how the world is wrong about <laughs> Kill Bill. And, uh, but I think if we did that, people would be like, "Why are you doing Kill Kill Bill?" Like, <laughs> yeah, everyone likes that movie. Um, but they but they're wrong about why they like it. Like if people who were so smart about idiocracy could also would actually look at the Phoebe Zeitgeistness of Kill Bill, I'd be like, now you're talking smart. <laughs> anyway. anyway uh, someday I'd like to meet Mike Judge and put, put my, my theory to the test, that he knows that that film is not as smart as everyone else says it is. <laughs> that would prove his intelligence. Um <laughs> Okay, well, that's uh, that's Southland Tales. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> I think it's a good time. <laughs> Just step into Wa- the watch step into the, the booth uh, and lead yourself. With this movie. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm AJ, and we have a podcast called The Director's Wall examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Dear listener, If you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Eight notes scale an octave. Master the scale and you master the score. So, <laughs> were you ever a big uh, wrestling fan? Like, you being a child or a young man in the 80s and 90s? Like, I was big into that stuff. How about you? No. Not Never. at all. <laughs> not interested in the slightest. I think I did. I kind of had your reaction with, like, I, I don't mind exercise, but I did. I took wrestling for, like, I don't know, a Probably too long, but it's a very short memory in my mind. A short, sweaty, stinky, uncomfortable memory of doing wrestling in middle school and just thinking, this is gross. This is disgusting. I don't want to have some sweaty dude with his arms wrapped around me and me trying to get out of his click. This is not fun. This is terrible. I what about it. watching wrestling? Did you ever no, watch professional wrestling? Not You're not interested. into like the Hulk Hogan era, no. Andre the Giant, back, way back when? It. No. Fred no. Blassie. What about all the Andy Kaufman stuff when he was like feuding with you know, Jerry Lawler on David Letterman and wrestling all the women? And that, so, that's exciting. So when I was, <laughs> when Andy Kaufman was doing that stuff, I was like 10 years old. And so I didn't really, I'll be honest, Andy Kaufman scared me. When I was a kid, <laughs> like when he'd be on and he'd be fighting women, I'd be like, this, I, this is not good. I don't like this is not good. <laughs> then later on, I get the, the genius of what he was doing. Yeah. But I hadn't developed that fine a, a sense at such a young age. So, no, yeah. no. That added to my 
antipathy towards the wrestling arts. Um, uh, but uh, I'm a bit you big love fan because I love it. I when I was in Memphis, I went to the Jerry Lawler uh, Museum. That's is also his bar that he owns. That's uh, downtown Memphis and had bunch of memorabilia there's like stuff with andy kaufman things there it was really exciting i watched the royal rumble every year i have dvds and tapes of professional wrestling i co-wrote a short that was starred professional wrestlers called suplex duplex complex like it's definitely a thing that uh you know i grew up with and i like even more the older i get which is odd because you think it would be the other way around but like the more that i realize that it is like it's vaudeville. It's uh, it's improv. It's it's comedy. It's stunts. Like it's like once you really understand how not real it is, then it's even more exciting. Be like, oh, these are like real performers, like performing. Like this is like the last remnants of this type of theater that we have left, you know, in the in the in America. It's I, I find it very exciting. Did Still. you watch the series <laughs> Glow? Uh, no, I'm I, the original. The one from the eighties? No, no, the the. Modern oh, I've seen one. that. No, I've only seen like the one, the actual Glow show, which is great. I think, but I've not seen the, the new one. The series was great. I I really really yeah. Loved I should this, watch that. that. But then I just have, have made it clear that I hate wrestling. So maybe it's, <laughs> I just and, liked uh, it because I like great actors and great writing. And my friends Evan and Jason have a great show on Vice called The Dark Side of the Ring. It's now, I think it wrapped its third season recently. And that's really good. If, if you're into wrestling and into its stories, Which I'm uh, not, that, <laughs> that goes into all the real life craziness that these, these people were up to. Uh, and it's very well done. And like, just, you know, I love them and I they think their show is very dark. Sometimes it's too dark for me and I have to kind of walk away and take a break but i i yeah check that out too um yeah <laughs> and were you a fan of the rock before he became a movie star no actually that was sort of when i stopped watching wrestling stuff like i was very not involved in like the stone cold rock era because that was when i was in college and i just didn't pay attention to it and it wasn't until like in the last five years that I actually started watching those for the first time. And it's really good. And he, he is great. Like I have the DVD box set of like all his best matches and he just really does a good show. And he's just so funny and he's just a naturally talented guy. And I also really like him as an actor and I will follow him, keep following him as a performer. Yeah. What are your favorite rock movies? Uh, Pain and Gain is my absolute favorite. That is the best Michael Bay movie. It's the best Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie. One of the best Mark Wahlberg performances. That is so good. He is so good in it. Uh, that's definitely one. I think The Rundown is great. The Peter Berg movie that also has Sean William Scott is really fun. Um, I yeah, I'm just a I'm a I'm a fan. I'll uh, you know, keep watching the Tooth Fairy movie. He did was really good. Uh, yeah, I think he's just a funny guy. Uh, I'll vote for him and. 2030 or whenever he runs for president did you see uh <laughs> san andreas yeah totally entertaining it's, it's completely yeah. stupid but very fun earthquake movies destroying yeah. the west coast hey it's great <laughs> it's like watching a airplane crash movie on an airplane it's very exciting uh of course the other guys 
plays he's in the other guys oh that is him and samuel jackson yeah that <laughs> their uh demise is so funny <laughs> that movie's great uh big fan of that um yeah very good uh cool well next week i'm excited this oh. is a movie that i've only heard bad things about yeah from well, everybody except for you one good turn deserves another <laughs> What are we doing? <laughs> you made me watch Southland Tales. I'm making you watch The Two Jakes. <laughs> the Jack Nicholson directed follow-up to Chinatown. Not really the follow-up. The sequel to Straight Chinatown. Up, yeah. And uh, it's pretty great. It's not as great as Chinatown, but uh, it's still but what is? pretty <laughs> great. And I encourage you to check it out. It's available on, I'm, I think, some streaming services mm -hmm. somewhere. So It's on HBO, Max, or it was when oh, I watched it. Okay, well, yeah. so there you go. Yeah. And just like with this episode, you'll be able to find a page devoted to that episode on theworldiswrongpodcast.com, our website, where we post episodes, uh, pages, where we post the episode and have a page about each episode uh, one of these films that we cover and you can also write to us about those films or really about anything you want to share with us we're, we're lonely and desperate and so <laughs> we could use some encouragement or just just a sense that you're out there are you out there? I mean, how out there are you? It's really just the question anyway, if you're really out there send us an email and let us know where that is. And uh, you could also reach out to us on the two social media platforms we frequent. If you want to reach out to Brian, eh, shoot him, a, shoot us a, I don't know, whatever, a, a private message on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast on Instagram. That's uh, you can also just check out our cool videos and you can find me Mixing it up over Twitterland at World Is Wrong Pod. Uh, it's very exciting, very exciting times. We're recording these w these intros and outros, by the way, months before this. These are actually going to come out. So who knows what the world is like at this point? But we hope that it's still a place <laughs> where you're enjoying movies and uh, and enjoying this podcast. And yeah. uh, I guess until. Until next time, Brian. Yeah. I, I hate I hate doing this to people. I you know I I want I want to share the happy truth, and that that's I think that's what we try to do during the show. But we always have to end with the reality because you you got to leave this show and go out into the world, which unfortunately is wrong, and is definitely wrong about you. Later that day. Krista had a lunch meeting with adult film director Cindy Penzicki. Well, in my first six movies, I was just Krista, you know, but then in order to differentiate myself from the 76 other Kristas in the business, I added the now. Wow. Well, it's all about now, 2008, not next week, not tomorrow. If you want to fuck me, you can fuck me now. Wow. So is that the name of your TV show, Now? It's a topical discussion chat reality show. A top album, the jewelry, clothing and perfume line, the energy drink. This is a very ambitious business plan. 
Can you keep a secret? Of course. I'm fucking a very large and important man. Wow. The search for Boxer Santeros reached up into the highest levels of national security. Led by none other than his mother-in-law. Nana May Frost. Wife of Republican Senator Bobby Frost. Former prom queen. And deputy director of the NSA. Nana May Frost, please acknowledge. Identification confirmed. Welcome aboard, Ms. Frost. Thank you. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne, to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.